Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and former Arsenal winger Perry Groves. Loads to talk about after a massive weekend of Premier League football. So here's what's coming up. Because that's not going to happen with Moises Caicedo, for example. They can have all the sell-on clauses they want. No one's going to pay more than £115 million for Moises Caicedo. And all the time they're being patient and backing the project, they're falling further and further behind in terms of the top four and actually challenging for trophies. They're miles off. Evans, I thought, played well. But I think we should also remember two things. Burnley haven't won yet. Burnley didn't play with a centre-forward. And uh, let's just be <laughs> they should be beating Burnley. It is only Burnley, with all due respect. Yeah, have you ever read a book at a football match? <laughs> yeah, I have. I was on the bench for the Gooners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be Every week. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Let's kick things off by talking about, uh, well, it was a massive score, like Newcastle, Sheffield United. I mean, 8-0, eight different scorers. It's absolutely crazy, isn't it? I mean, first of all, Paul Heckingbottom, is he still in the job? I think he is. Uh, the vibe coming out on Sunday evening was that he is safe for now. Obviously, we know there have been talk of maybe a return for Chris Wilder. wouldn't surprise me if that happened at some point in the not-too-distant future, but that's a terrible result for Sheffield United, and it's made me look an absolute mug, because if you remember on the podcast last week, I predicted they might get a point. <laughs> it was a really bad performance though wasn't it I mean Newcastle were really good and congratulations to them for like being ruthless and racking up the goals absolutely what you have to do in that situation but they were off it Sheffield United first 20 minutes all right no they they were weren't they they had a couple of chances first 20 minutes it sounds like Man United and Munich and then obviously when Newcastle get their first goal Kieran Trippier with his three assists I wonder if there could be a new rule where um, you get a a match ball for three assists that's pretty rare to be fair in Premier League games, fullback as well, with his crosses coming in. I, I don't, I'm not as confident as Crookie about Paul Heckenbottom because if um, there's been vibes, isn't there, that he's, uh, his job is in jeopardy. And the players, I think they've got those vibes as well because... Do you think that's why they switched off? Yes. They were off the pace, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Because 3-0 at half-time, you go, right, you're playing for pride, obviously, in the second half. And they lost their shape completely. They lost their discipline. And I know when players are not trying that, that could be intensity. It doesn't mean not trying running around, but it means your intensity and your application and your concentration levels. 
and they lost it. So there's too much negativity around Sheffield United at the moment. Okay, uh, lots of negativity around Sheffield United, but not around Newcastle United. There's a bit of negativity around Chelsea as well. That was a big result on Sunday. And the North London derby was an absolute cracker. This is how the weekend sounded on TalkSport. I love coming to Kenilworth Road. It's a proper football ground. Morris to try and bring Luton Town level. Right-footed effort, steps up to the ball, rolls it into the bottom corner, sends Jose Sarr the wrong way. Bedlam in Bedfordshire. Nunez has pulled the ball back, and Haaland, the header from inside the six-yard area. His eighth goal of the season in just his sixth Premier League game. No stopping Erling Haaland, no stopping Manchester City. Palace nil, Fulham nil, it's ended here. Nothing to separate these two at Selhurst Park in a game, as Ray said, seriously lacking in quality. Renford one, Everton three. Dominic Calvert-Lewin off the bench has scored Everton's third. There's a nervous tension in the air. You can feel it because the Manchester United supporters know they have to win this game. Bruno Fernandes on the volley. Oh, it's a brilliant goal from Bruno Fernandes. That is a top-class finish. What a goal. They've put three points on the board. They've kept a clean sheet. And they've beaten Burnley by a goal to nil. So let's talk about the Newcastle angle first of all with the 8-0, eight, eight different scorers. It shows that Hedy Howe's got firepower. I think we already knew that. But it's a great week for them, isn't it? Does it sort of debunk the myth, really, uh, that they were not going to be able to cope with European football, the extra commitments? I think it's a statement week to go to Milan and, and grind out that 0-0 draw and then come back and score eight. Obviously, they picked up that crucial victory against Brentford last weekend, which almost felt like it could be a turning point in their season. Would you say eight different scorers? First time that's happened in the Premier League. I believe that Amanda Staveley actually went into the dressing room and delivered that news of history being made personally. So clearly it's a very united football club. And uh, you would expect Newcastle to kick on from now. Um, in terms of Eddie Howe, obviously one of the great things I think he's done since he's been at the football club is sort of bounce back from setbacks. You know, even if you go back to sort of I think it was January, February time, around the sort of Carabao Cup time when they were getting to the final. They'd lost a bit of form in the league and everyone thought, oh no, they're not going to hang on for the top four. Then they came roaring back after that setback in the, in the Carabao Cup. And I think that sort of, that, that show of sort of being able to jump back over the hurdles really enhanced his reputation. I think it's a um, testament to the recruitment, the characters that they've brought, they've brought into the football club. Uh, two, a three clean sheets, last three games, and I don't think it's any coincidence that he decided to go for legs in midfield with Anderson and Sean Longstaff coming back in. And I think people didn't realise how pivotal he was last season because obviously you've got like Grimaris, who's like, he's the playmaker, gets all the plaudits, but you still need legs alongside you. And they come back with their, what you'd say was their first choice back four. So that's a really good solid unit they've got there. Nick Pope, uh, brilliant uh, midweek in the Champions League. Um, so... I think um, from Newcastle's point of view, this, it's just stable. He doesn't listen to the outside noise, does he? Because everybody's saying, oh, if Eddie Howe doesn't do very well in the Champions League, they don't get out of the group stages, then his job could be uh, in a bit of jeopardy. But um, at the moment, it's just quieting down all the noise isn't it, around Newcastle and exactly what Eddie Howe wants. Yeah, have you ever read a book at a football match? <laughs> yeah, I have. 
I, mean, I was on the bench for the Gooners. Yeah, <laughs> Every week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there was a great picture of uh, a, a, a young woman who was reading a, a, a novel halfway through. She was in a Sheffield United kit. Obviously, it got to sort of 7-0 and she was like, I've had enough now. I'm going to do my reading. I mean, at least she stayed. I thought that was quite, you know, she was sort of stoic. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to watch the rest of the I'm going to listen to the soundtrack of the rest of the game. And I'm just going to sit and read my book. She might have been doing Sudoku just to keep her brain uh, <laughs> occupied, which there's no brain activity going on. Nick Pope had a book than as well for, <laughs> for, for much of the final hour. Dear, oh dear. Right, um, I was at Chelsea versus Aston Villa. Aston Villa winning by a goal to nil. I think if you look at the statistics, it actually looks quite an even game and that Aston Villa probably deserved all three points. But I must admit, a lot of what happened that was good about Aston Villa happened after Malagusto was sent off. OK, I think it's a 50-50 whether or not you think it's a red card or not. I was a bit surprised the VAR got involved because I didn't know it was a clear and obvious error. But you can argue it either way. Chelsea up until that point, and even after that, had so many chances, it was frightening. Story of their season, isn't it? You know, they, they get themselves into good positions, they get opportunities to score, and they miss them. But that's because they haven't got a proper season centre-forward. I know Broya is back now, but again, he's still relatively raw and untested, bar half a season when he was in form at Southampton in the Premier League. Nicholas Jackson has got as many yellow cards, I think, as Chelsea have scored goals this season. Obviously, Nkunku being absent is a massive blow, but they needed desperately that number nine, and I just don't see how it gets better it's without negligent. one. I mean, the, the, the Nicholas Jackson yellow card thing is, is ne- negligent. He knew he was, they said, they've said to him so many times, just be careful, be controlled, don't get yourself in trouble. He's got five bookings this season, all for dissent. I mean, how can you get five bookings in six games for de- dissent? He's not I mean, learning, is he? It's, it's crazy. But th- listen, Chelsea's problem is not Pochettino. There's a lot of rumours about, like, all of the issues that are surrounding the club and maybe fans getting a little bit irritated with Pochettino. But surely that the idea of changing the manager or putting pressure on Pochettino is completely ridiculous. What happens is you still get the same group of players. I mean, it's a young group of players that need direction, they need leadership. Um, there's lack of experience here. Thiago Silva at 39, and you've got uh, Ryan Sterling. They're the only players that are over 25. Uh, ben Chilwell is on the bench, which I, I don't get. I mean, we spoke about it earlier, didn't we, with uh, Levi Cowell being uh, left back. I think I've got so, a solution to that. I think, I've got the, the un- I think I now understand why they do it. Yeah, but put Levi Cowell left side of centre-half, put Ben Chilwell at left back, at least then you have another experienced player on the pitch and I think the balance of the team looks a bit better. Maybe you're right. One of the, I know that, that they have struggled with how they're going to market set pieces and they have a real lack of height in the team. So if you look at the profile of the squad, the squad is very small and they, as a result of that, a lot of their midfield players and forward players are so slight that they thought, well, we need to make sure that our back players are relatively tall. So we've got the sassy Thiago Silva is not huge, but he's good in the air. And they've got Levi Colwell. Everybody else is, 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 is under six foot. That's, that's a concern, especially in the Premier League. But, you know, Chelsea have now tried three different types of manager, haven't they? They've tried the up-and-coming coach. They've tried the returning hero. They've tried um, the tried-and-tested, experienced coach. And all three of them have encountered the same problems. That's not a coincidence. So that sort of probably gives you an indication that most of the issues are down to those running the club. Those running the club do not have experience of running a football club. They're not qualified running a football club. A lot of the sporting directors have never really done this sort of job before. 
And you look at Chelsea and you look at the way the squad has been built and it does smack of someone who doesn't really understand the rigours of the Premier League. There's not enough experience, there's not enough nous in there, you know. And, and they've done things in a way which have actually irked other football clubs, other agents. You know, as far as I understand it, there's a lot of people, their reputation in football isn't great now. And there's a lot of people that work in football that don't want to work with them. So if you're thinking about throwing away someone with experience like Mauricio Pochettino, or even considering it for one second, who on earth do you think you're going to get when no one wants to work with you anyway because of the way you've treated people? One player this year, given a tracksuit, told to come to the training ground because they're going to get photographed in all their new gear, and then they pulled the plug on the deal at the last minute, and that player's now at another club. Yeah. Crazy. It's really poor, but... Also, there's been a lot of talk, and Pochettino himself is guilty of this, talking about patience and the project. I think fans can only be expected to be patient if they understand what that project is. What is the end game here for Chelsea? Because obviously we know they have a certain profile. I wrote about it during the transfer window. They were offered the chance to sign Jao Paulinho. They felt he was too old because there'd be no sell-on value. So are they just trying to buy players at a price where they think down the line they can sell them on for profit? Because that's not going to happen with Moises Caicedo, for example. They can have all the sell-on clauses they want. No one's going to pay more than 115, £115 million pounds for Moises Caicedo. And all the time they're being patient and backing the project, they're falling further and further behind in terms of the top four and actually challenging for trophies. They're miles off. You can understand clubs like Brentford and Brighton. Obviously, they do their logarithms and their algorithms. They go into the, quite rightly the character of the players for them to sell on because they need that to sustain their football clubs. Big clubs like Chelsea, like Arsenal, like Liverpool, you shouldn't be thinking of sell-on prices. Because if you pay £100 million, say the player's 27 and you pay £100 million and you get four or five years out of that player. And you win a couple of trophies along the way. And you win your way. trophies, exactly, and you're successful, then that in itself uh, galvanises you and brings you money in. Well, so it's, it's, you should never be thinking Brighton and Brentford and Chelsea and Manchester United and Arsenal is that the commercial income that those big clubs get almost sort of supplement the transfer fees that the little clubs get. So the little clubs live off transfer fees, whereas a lot of the income that comes into Manchester United's coffers, for example, is to do with commercial. And, and the commercial comes from success. So you try and build success. Chelsea spent a £100 million player. It should be a franchise player. This is where we're building the team around. Look at Real Madrid. They spent a £100 million on a player because, not because they want to sell Jude Bellingham on in five years' time, but because they want to build their club around Jude Bellingham and be successful. I mean, listen, I don't know, you said they're miles off. If they finish in the top half, it'll be a miracle. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's incredible. But then how long does the patience for Chelsea fans go with Pochettino? Because but, but what else they're going to do? Who's going to replace with him with? The who's going who's to work for Chelsea is as good as Pochettino now? On, he's the perfect remit and for uh, developing younger players. But then if you're saying that Chelsea fans are going to be okay with finishing mid-table, well, they're not going to be okay with it, but they've got they to have to get used to it. And the organisation needs to tell them exactly what the plan is going forward so that they can at least buy into it. If you don't, it's like, it's like everything, isn't it? If you don't know the direction of travel, you can't, if you haven't been told, you haven't laid the groundwork for the direction of travel, then people are going to be asking questions. What are we, what are we doing here? Yeah, buy, fans will buy into it if they can see what the team is trying to do on the pitch. And if you keep losing... And there's no direction on the pitch. There's no direction I actually don't think owners. it is that bad. If you look at it and you look at the way they play. The results are terrible. Yeah, actually, not not yeah, just this season, on, but it's been on, a long on. time Let now. me finish what I was going to say. They actually play all right, but they just don't score any goals. And they're much better than last season. I mean, that's not difficult. They're better than last season. 
But it is just to do with being able to be ruthless enough in front of goal and having that nous. Wasn't that the same accusation to Graham Potter though? Because his teams are very easy on the eye, wasn't they? And his teams Maybe. were good footballing teams but didn't have that clinical edge to them. And that, uh, so it's a long-standing problem they haven't fixed, even though they spent billion pounds. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> I'd argue the team that Graham Potter inherited is better than the Chelsea team oh, that Pochettino's got now. Absolutely is. There's no doubt about that in terms of experience yeah. in the team. Anyway, enough about Chelsea because that was depressing. Uh, Aston Villa, I think, got away with one a little bit actually during the game because they should have been out of sight beaten, but actually did well enough to hold in and then score a goal on the break. Uh, Ollie Watkins on it's the score brilliant sheet. Brilliant stat with Unai Emery. Yeah. He's never been involved in a new draw in Premier League. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's 82 games. He's a bit crazy on the touchline, Unai Emery. You know, after he go, goes through the repertoire of different dance moves when he's jumping but up he, and down. But he probably realised, as you said there, Sam, first half, his team weren't quite at it and yeah. Chelsea dominated possession, weren't they? Right, OK, let's move on because uh, there was a big game on Saturday night for one team in particular who had to win. And it's ironic, really, isn't it, that it is in Lancashire's heart that Manchester United need to show they still have one. Ramsey, edge of the area, feeds Andoni into the box, hits the post, and Manchester United have a massive let-off. And that's the problem, is they're not playing as in, in unison, this Manchester United team. It's look, at times they're playing like individuals. Into the near post, and getting up high to head the ball in is Johnny Evans, who glances the ball in at the near post. There might be a question of offside here, Sam. I'm not too sure if it's going to stand. Yeah, the referees look to the monitor. He's overturned the goal. It's nil-nil. Was Rasmus Hoyland stopping James Trafford from playing the ball? He was standing right in front of him. And the ball is towards the right-hand side. Oh. Bruno Fernandes on the volley! Oh, it's a brilliant goal from Bruno Fernandes. That is a top-class finish. What a goal. There's a nervous tension in the air. You can feel it because the Manchester United supporters know they have to win this game. Johnny Evans has had a brilliant game tonight. Yep. He's, he's done really well. You know, When he's been called upon, he's done his job, he's stood tall. And he's been rolling back the years today in terms of his performance. He's created a goal, he's been very good at centre-half. Eric Ten Hag shuffled his pack and this deck of cards, somewhat surprisingly, came up trumps. And they've beaten Burnley by a goal to nil. Oh, it's all right, Crook, don't worry. You've beaten Burnley 1-0 away from home. <laughs> Just when you thought I was depressed. Um, what, what, what does it feel like watching that? Because you did send us a text saying that after seeing the team sheet, you weren't going to watch it. Might not watch it, was what I said. Um, <laughs> but obviously I did. Uh, it was uncomfortable at times. But at the same time, I think United showed a bit of grit, a bit of determination, a bit more pride in the badge, which we haven't necessarily seen in recent weeks. I think there were some standout performances. Johnny Evans, everybody laughed when they saw that he'd be starting the so game. Did I did as well. I did as well. <laughs> but he was immense. Scored his goal. But unlucky for that one to be ruled out. Brilliant assist for what was a fine winner from Bruno Fernandes. And just the leadership that he showed. Um, was what Manchester United have been lacking. I think Reguillon has settled in really nicely and has shown a bit of passion as well. Hannibal ran around in midfield and used that energy to try and galvanise the team. So there were some, some positives. There were some positives for the first time. It's, it's, it, I mean, listen, look, we're all, we're, Crook and I are in a situation where there, if there's straws, we'll clutch at them. <laughs> um, the fact that one of your great facets from Saturday night was Hannibal ran around. <laughs> it's quite of a prerequisite of what, what the job title is. But anyway, but yeah, I, I do think that his energy definitely brought something a little bit different. Evans, I thought, played well. But I think we should also remember two things. Burnley haven't won yet. 
Burnley didn't play with a centre forward and let's just be clear, but they should be beating Burnley. It is only Burnley, with all due respect. Yeah, but it was a massive banana skin. Given the week they've had, given the trials and tribulations, everybody was expecting them to falter and they didn't. Yeah, but that was going to be the story. Everybody was looking at that for Burnley just to start their Premier League season. And they knew that May United were vulnerable. So Vincent Company would have been fancying his chances. I know you said they didn't play centre forward. If you'd have said begin the season... They should have gone in front in the first half. They had two great chances to, to go in front. If you'd have said begin the season, that May United's back four would be Dallow, Lindelof, Evans and Regulon. You'd have thought you'd had a heavy night out and woke up, wouldn't you, the next day and thought, what have I been taking the night before? And I agree with Crookie, though, bringing Hannibal in and McTominay because they needed legs and they haven't had that in midfield. And I think um, Tom Huddleston, he's going to be in the squad. There he goes. Love this guy. The thing as well, you think that with Johnny Evans, he was brought in because May United were on their pre-season tour, weren't they, in, in America, and he was brought in to help out the under-21s. And then they decide, oh, you're fitter than what we thought he was going to be. Oh, yeah, you've got leadership qualities. And all of a sudden... And you're actually quite a good footballer, and, which he yeah, already and always has he been. takes responsibility. And then he gets himself in the first team. That was never, ever on the cards. Um, Eric Ten Hag spoke to him afterwards and he said to me that um, oh, everything's been against us this season. Is that fair? Yeah, I, th- I think in some ways you look at the number of injuries, particularly to new signings that obviously he feels will make the team better. You've got off-field situations. I mean, United's handling of Mason Greenwood wasn't life being against them. They just handled it poorly. But you've got the Anthony situation. He's been taken out of the firing line to deal with his own issues, which Ten Hag couldn't have foreseen. So I think he's got a point. And I think it will get better. You know, Amrabat coming on for a few minutes. Varane being able to come off the bench. Mason Mount is closer to fitness. Hoyland, again, I thought looked lively. So I'm a lot more positive than Chelsea. It's not difficult. I think Sheffield United have more, more positive than Chelsea. <laughs> Everton certainly are. They've started to watch matches a day again, the fans, because uh, they got their first victory of the season. They beat Brentford by three goals to one. This is a really good performance from Everton. And I must admit, I didn't see it coming. I don't think anybody did, to be fair. If you looked at uh, Everton's performance against Arsenal when they were unbelievably passive, then you go to Brentford and Brentford's home record is outstanding I think last season they lost two games it's the first time they've been beaten at home since April yeah and they haven't won they've drawn three haven't they of their uh, first four games they haven't won at home this season so I think that's the mark of respect that teams now give in Brentford when they go to the GTEC and I always said with um, Everton obviously got Beto so you have a, a focal point up front that gives uh, Everton a chance to stretch teams you've got Calvert-Lewin obviously coming on and uh, getting his goal he looks really sharp I think he had um, 14 touches, which he didn't give possession away, and, and one shot on target, one goal. So it's amazing how quickly it can turn around. And I always said with Everton's midfield three, with um, Gay, um, Anana and Decore, they should be able to dominate in that area because they're all three of them are decent players, all three of them have got athleticism, and you've got Decore who can then join in and get in a, a standing goal himself. Manchester City beat Forest by two goals to nil. All the talk was about Rodri's red card. Pep was angry afterwards, furious about it, because he felt uh, that he'd been a little bit let down and Rodri had got dragged into something he shouldn't have done. Uh, he's going to get a three-game rest now. Naive from Rodri, uh, and, and not the type of behaviour that you'd expect from him. And it is costly because they've got Arsenal 
um, in the not too distant future and he will miss that game and it already feels like a big game at the top of the table and it, it did change the course of proceedings because um, listening to, to Adrian Durham on uh, TalkSport he was live at the Etihad sounded like City absolutely blitz Forest mm. up until the red card and then all for Adrian to go to the Etihad <laughs> Really practically got a season ticket now I believe yeah, I think, yeah. uh, but, but it did allow Forrest back into the game and I guess you have to praise City for the way they were able to, to dig in and, and see out the victory with a clean sheet where did all the anger come from I, I did know 14 minutes the game was done and dusted yeah. and Harlan gets his head up two and a half by 40 minutes and then you get reports that Rodri's got anger when Gibbs White have a word of yourself as well because I know he grabbed him but fried himself on the flight bit, bit on, hit on the head with a lift you know what I mean yeah. he was just you know making absolutely sure, sure the red yeah, card yeah, came exactly out right. and then um, Edison had his like uh, forehead to forehead didn't he yes he was did that with, with Tywo on you on one year yeah and you just think and Pep obviously gets angry you think why, why is all the anger you've won six out of six <laughs> do you know what I mean you're cruising what, what is it you're upset about guys come on let's sit down and talk this through. perhaps they just want to make themselves get themselves angry yeah. about something because no one else is making angry when uh, they're playing against them maybe they were bored yeah, yeah. Um, there is a danger of this isn't it that they sort of creep away from everybody and no one really notices that they've already won the league by the time we get to Christmas the Arsenal game is huge I mean Rodri's obviously going to be suspended um, and Arsenal got Bournemouth before that so you've got to make sure that attitude's right but if Arsenal get beat by Man City and you go seven points behind, mm. I think that rules Arsenal out the title race. So from um, Man City, and I think from the Premier League's point of view, um, if it wasn't for Man City winning it, if you look at the top, obviously like Liverpool. Are you trying to get us all to be Arsenal supporters for that day? Is that what you're <laughs> yeah, trying just to do? Yeah, for that game, like everyone was at the end of last season. Yeah. But even then, like for Liverpool, we've been <laughs> talking about in a minute, coming, just being quietly in like really good form. So we want the Premier League to be as competitive as possible. Absolutely. Uh, Liverpool, I think, are the closest challenges at this moment in time. We'll get to them in just a second. But let's get to that North London derby because it was an absolute belter. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Tottenham will see it as a better point for them than it is for the hosts. It finishes here. Arsenal 2, Tottenham 2. They've got a bit of balance to the team. The two central midfield players are strong. 
They're looking after Madison. They're getting him the ball. You know, if you've got any sort of football knowledge this year, you can see that that team's up. We do not have a proper striker. Arteta, he's got to take some of the blame for some of the tactical stuff that's going on. If they go and get Ivan Tony in January, Arsenal are title challengers, and I'll say that as a Spurs fan happily because that's the one thing that's missing from that Arsenal team. Everything yeah. else is there. You know, Mikel spoke about rotating. Like you say, Ivan's done nothing wrong this season. You know, he's been fantastic. It's a difficult situation and one that must be really frustrating for Aaron. After all that's been taken, I also think we were partially done with a couple of decisions. I think the penalty was a joke. What is that clown, Darren Bent? Does he still think Arsenal have 11 players in a combined North London team? Because that is the most ludicrous comment I've ever heard. Oh, it really was, wasn't it? What a great game of football. Um, a couple of disappointing things. Um, obviously, Jorginho's mistake, but Declan Rice's injury, how worrying is that? Because actually, you know, back pages of some of the papers today, Times saying Rice gives Arteta an injury scare. That would be a big scare because he was really important in that first 45 minutes. I think it was a big turning point when he didn't come out for the second half. Perry alluded to it when we were doing the game for the Sunday session that Arsenal just didn't have the same energy, the same legs in midfield without Declan Rice. I think it exposed their, their lack of squad depth a little bit, the changes they make, as Havertz didn't really make much of an impression. You say squad again. depth, they've been a little bit unlucky with injuries, haven't they? Because of Urien Timber picking up that, that big injury. He, he's not a midfield player, but what he allows them to do is he can play in other positions, which allows Zinchenko, for example, mm. to play more centrally and he does wander into midfield from fullback anyway Timber. yeah and obviously they lost Martinelli and his replacement Trossard a big leap of faith shown in Fabio Vieira maybe the game just looked a little bit too big for him at times and you look at the opportunities that Arsenal spurned again if they'd have spent £65 million to sign an Ivan Tony type player I know he wouldn't be available at this moment in time rather than £65 million on Kai Havertz I think that changes the dynamic of the Arsenal team because Eddie Nketiah is not someone who's going to bang in goals in the Premier League on a regular basis. And Gabriel Jesus missed a huge chance at 1-0 as well that probably would have put the game to bed. Could they sign Ivan Tony in January? Every chance. Uh, yeah, I, I, if I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan, obviously, I would take Ivan Tony in a heartbeat. And you mentioned about Gabriel Jesus there. Gabriel Jesus is a top-quality footballer, but he's not an elite centre-forward. That's the difference where he'll probably take one in four, one in five chances, where the top boys, if that's Haaland, if it's Harry Kane, they take one in two. And you saw it was brilliant closing down because James Madison was getting a bit frustrated because Declan Rice was keeping him out of the game and he started to drop a bit deeper. So when Jesus actually goes and closes him down, the centre forwards who have that calm brain, they take another touch mm. where you just calm yourself down, but he didn't, he snatched it, hit it over the crossbar, and that was at 1-0, as Crookie said, that goes to 2-0. But as I've got to say, it pains me to say it about um, Spurs, is they have an edge about them. Everybody says about Postacoglu, you know, he's affable character, he's very calm, but he's got that edge about him as well. And in the first two or three minutes, Udogi went steaming in, didn't he, on uh, Bukayo Saka, Poro went steaming on Jesus to say, right, we're going to set our stall out here and set our marker. So there is a, even though Spurs are playing front foot attacking football, mm. there's a bit more resilience about them. It's entertaining, listen, in two goals, Madison uh, almost gave a chance uh, away to Gabriel Jesus, didn't he, in the first half. Then Georgina did give away uh, an opportunity to Tottenham, which they ended up scoring through Son from the equalising goal just seconds after Arsenal had gone back in front. So it, 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 you know, there is danger playing the football that both these two teams 
play and that was exposed in that game. Um, but David they are Raya's performance, what do we make of that, David Raya? He's made a couple of good saves, didn't he? Yeah, I think... Was he um, partly culpable for the goal right at the end of the first half? Where the cross comes in, yeah, where he sort of palms it out. But then... It's all right, Aaron, it's all right, Aaron. Yeah. I'll, I'll get it in. I'll get it in, yeah, I'll, I'll point it out. Don't worry, yeah, I've done it, I've done it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, the, um, if you look at... You say that he's culpable, and Bukayo Saka would be culpable, wouldn't it? Because mm. Madison spins him a little bit too uh, easily. He alluded easily. to that afterwards, Madison. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, we were... It, that was one of the few games as well where you had 10 minutes of added time at the end and normally and you were happy about you're it saying, no you, you see like, yes, like come the, on, the home team have that surge of energy in it but I think because both teams have put so much in oh, right, okay. to the first night then you could just see that I thought that to Stamford Bridge dropped. we had 11 minutes at Stamford Bridge uh, yesterday and I just thought that it just went flat because people were like alright you know Chelsea obviously weren't going to get back into it because they were never going to score a goal but also yeah, Villa were knackered as well. It was it just gone on too long. I do think it, over the season it is going to take its toll. But it, also with Chelsea fans, there's only and so much you can see if your team keep running through having shooting practice and not scoring. Yeah, they stopped getting up afterwards. You know, that's you know, the worst you thing. You know when you're sitting in your seat and the, someone well, goes normally you surge and you're forward. up like that. Yeah. And everyone, in the end, everyone just sat there and just went. Well, he's got not going to score. Got Don't their worry. books and they're knitting out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone's got another book. They borrowed that book off that girl at uh, War and Peace. Shuffle, Sheffield United. You can yeah. finish War and Peace by the time Chelsea might score. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One thing that made Crook quite uncomfortable, and uh, he still hasn't dealt with it yet, is that uh, when he speaks to Ange Postacoglu, Ange won't look at him. Yeah. No eye contact. What's an odd one that? Yeah, I, I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago and he did, did he it do to the me same? as well. Yeah, and yeah. he did it on television last night as well. He is a very affable guy, we know that. His press conference is very entertaining. But when he's answering a question one-on-one, -on -one, he stares at the floor. I'm not, <laughs> not sure what that's all about. Why don't you just go, Ange, Ange, back at the room, mate. <laughs> is, that, is, is that because you're so big, though, that he, he's big Ange, is a little bit intimidated by you? <laughs> well, if he did it to you, though, then that, that sort of... <laughs> but I just that. thought he was looking at me because he was looking down. <laughs> But listen, he's done, a, he's done a brilliant job and actually Madison was quite bullish afterwards and said to us that Spurs are not Spursy anymore, basically. They've been tired with a brush of... Good quote, that. He's good for a quote, isn't bottlers. he? So, you know, I guess there's a danger that he could be getting a little bit carried away, but they do seem, as you hinted at, to have that newfound steel I mean, And it's not as if James Madison's ever gone publicly and said something that's come back to haunt him before. <laughs> but to be fair to him, he is thriving on... The number 10 shirt. We knew he, he was. Yeah, because he, he I, I said before, I think he was quietly pleased that Harry Kane went because he can be the main man. And you mentioned about the mistake that he made when he got closed down by Jesus. He didn't stop wanting the ball. No. There's a difference in, you know, when people say about how tough you are, you can be physically tough, but you can be mentally but tough. But he's as well, got he character. Is. He's yeah. got character. Listen, he's a resilient guy. If you look back, even, you know, that, that tweet that he sent out having a go at the guy who said they were going to get relegated, he said it's not going to happen, watch the game, and then they got relegated. You know, he's had the thing with the roast dinner, which came out the last couple of weeks, and then he sat down with Emma Saunders and, and, and did an interview, literally about taking the mick out of himself about saying what he said about being the showman at a roast dinner. You know, he, he doesn't care. He's, he's that sort of guy, and that, that sort of expression is exactly what Spurs fans are tapping into at this moment in time. They can, they can look at him and they can think, yeah, we can pin our hopes on him, because he will come up with great moments. I think he was terrific for the goal. Well, yeah, both goals, really. I mean, in different ways. Brilliant feet for the first goal, and then the speed of mind for the second goal. Some players might have gone for glory, taking it on themselves. He slotted it perfectly for Son, allows him to score first time. It was, it was the way to pass for Son, hit it yeah. first time. As um, we could have a talk sport roast of James Madison. He'd love it, wouldn't he? 
Yeah, it's a roast, not a roast dinner, a roast. A, ro- a roast. He's centre attention and everybody just like as a girl him. him. Yeah. He'd love it, wouldn't he? Maybe, maybe you could sell that to him. It's funny that you've come up with that, the former Arsenal winger. I like to get roasted by 50,000 Arsenal fans, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, Liverpool 3, uh, West Ham United 1, full-time score from Anfield. Uh, there was a bit of sit-back in this game and that Bowen ended up scoring an equaliser just before half-time. But actually, after Salah had put them in front and then they went through the gears again, they actually played quite well, Liverpool. And quietly and quite assuredly, they're starting to rack up points. And they are now, you know, 16 points from 18 games. That's an impressive start of the season. If Manchester City weren't involved, I said it yesterday, in a cityless era, this is almost gold standard. And they haven't played that well. And, and they're integrating Darwin Nunez into the team. To be fair to Perry, when he saw the team sheet, he said he'll score today. He did, and he scored an excellent goal. Uh, McAllister looked look back to somewhere near his best after maybe an up and down start to his Liverpool career. But there was a, a big moment, again, in terms of officialdom in this. Jarrah Bowen, I think that's a penalty. Mm. Perry? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think it's definitely a penalty. You're well to get them at Anfield, to be fair. Not, not saying that big teams get the, you know, the go for them. So. Why do you think it wasn't given? Again, you know, we, we're going to talk about this. We'll probably talk about handball. I think the inconsistency is... is, is is concerning because we've seen VAR checks, we've seen penalties given for those kinds of incidents. So I'd love to know why the PGMOL deemed that wasn't a penalty. There was enough contact for me. Okay. Um, elsewhere, Brighton beat Bournemouth by three goals to one. Brighton up to third in the league, and you know we've done a lot on Brighton, so we won't go into it too much. But wow, third in the league, playing great football, scoring goals. Ferguson was back after missing a midweek. Dunk was back. That's important for them. They actually. <laughs> Did very well to come back from a goal down in that game as well. Iriola's got a few more problems. It hasn't really clicked for him yet. You'd see it, I think, sometimes that the methods are working, but I just think that it just hasn't really sort of got it up to speed yet. They haven't got up to speed. They've got had a difficult fixture list as well, I think, at Bournemouth. I think they'll probably be okay uh, soon. Crystal Palace nil, Fulham nil. was pretty dull, really. <laughs> Enough said. Welcome to Kenilworth Road. It's the first time that Wolverhampton Wanderers have been here to Bedfordshire since an FA Cup third round tie in January 2013 when Luton were a National League side. Diagonal ball downfield for Luton. Breaks for Carlton Morris. 20 yards out. Checks onto his right foot. Goes for goal. Oh, hits the angle of post and bar and stays out. That looked destined. Brilliant hit from Carlton Morris. Now Tom Lockie has been caught off the ball by Beargard and they're surrounding. Carl Morris is suggesting that there was a stamp by Beargard on Tom Lockyer and the referee is going to send off Beargard. A straight red card for Pedro Neto, who's got the better of Tom Lockyer into the area. Neto! Wolves lead! The ten men of Wolves hit the front and Pedro Neto! Kabore tries to drive, block behind, penalty! Handball given against the Wolves player. Joe Gomez, the man who handled it. Morris to try and bring Luton Town level. Right-footed effort, steps up to the ball, rolls it into the bottom corner, sends Jose Sarr the wrong way. Bedlam in Bedfordshire. There goes the full-time whistle, and Luton are still waiting for their first Premier League win. Well, there's one big incident from this game that everyone is talking about, and it's the handball that gives Luton the equaliser. Gary O'Neill's furious about it. 
Luton Town delighted about it. You weren't happy about it, first of all, were you? No, I wasn't. And, and I know you, you're going to tell me that in the eyes of the law, probably the right decision was reached. But I think the law needs looking at because it's almost impossible. Actually, Ange Postacoglu made this comment in relation to the Spurs penalty, which, which I think was a penalty for Arsenal for handball against Romero. But he was saying the only way we're going to stop giving away penalties for handball is if you create armless defenders. So the, the, the Wolves player, Jao Gomez, is trying to block a shot. Therefore, I think his arms have to be outstretched to get himself into the right position to do that. Then the ball cannons off his leg and goes onto the arm that is already in an unnatural position. I think it's really hard. You haven't sold that right, though, have you? Because what you've done is you've gone like that and like that, when actually he went in to block it like that with his arm in the air. And that's the key issue here. So you just have your say, and I'll explain to you the, what, what's troubling me a little bit about my, all my of this. My issue with it, and it's, I know that the actual law says that it's a penalty, so you can't blame the referees, you can't blame VAR. But he's, um, going up isn't in an unnatural position because as you're, you've got to have balance and yeah. you're going to close down, so you can't then think about where you're going to put your feet to close down, where you're going to put your arms. And you, but it's the other not issue, an unnatural position, that's not in the law, it's an no. unnaturally bigger. But it's not. You're making your body unnaturally bigger. And they deem that. And I think this is the key thing, right? I don't think any of us sitting in this room right now, most people watching think that's a penalty. No, I don't think anybody thinks we want that to be given as a penalty. I spoke to Alan Pardew on Saturday, a Sunday night, and he was like, you know, if you're football people, you know that that's not a penalty. And I understand his sentiment. I understand where he's coming from, and I totally and utterly get it. But we've got to get away from what you want for it to be a penalty, what you want to be a penalty, and what I want to be a penalty, and judging the referees by our standards of what we think the law should be. The actual law itself is how we can only judge them, right? The referees are given a law book by the IFAB. The idiots that write it are the ones who should be the victims of our ire, right? Changing the laws as much as they have had done over the last five years, which has confused everybody. The idea that they try and come up with such a prescriptive description of handball and offside so that every referee has to be a robot. Again, you know, those things just cause people problem when common sense is probably the best thing that a referee can ever have, instinct, feel for the game. They're taking all that away and making it almost like you've got a checklist for every single incident. Now, the fact is, is that the law is pretty clear. And I think if you've got a situation where you've got a player going in and their arm is up here, it doesn't matter if it hits another part of their body, it's going to be given as a penalty. Whether you like it, you don't like it, the law will state that that is going to be the case because his arm is there before he goes in for the challenge. So even though it's deflected off the thigh, it doesn't precipitate a change of direction because the arm is not changing direction. It's still there and it could have blocked the shot whether or not it came off the arm or not. So just take away unnaturally then? Well, there's loads of things that you can do to make because it more you say simple. If you've made, made, is you it deliberate? No, you just say, is it deliberate handball? And then it's a referee's oh, judgment. Back to the old days. Yeah, to make yeah. it whether it's a deliberate handball. That seemed to work okay, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, not wrong. Give, give them the, the opportunity to have common sense. Yeah. But I have to say, um, the referee, Josh Smith, that was only his second Premier League game. Did well. And he refereed the game. We do Men in Black, don't we, on the yeah. Sunday session. He refereed the game really well. And he gave the two big decisions. He gave the sending off and the handball. He took responsibility and gave it in real time. Mm. So I don't think it's any coincidence that he's come up from the championship 
and he's prepared to make the big decisions because he's not used to VAR, obviously, in the championship. And then, obviously, VAR backed him up. So I thought, I thought he refereed the game really well. I think the other thing we have to get away from is uh, this complete disparity between one league and another, right? Especially for the teams in Europe. Yep. Manchester United had a handball given against them in Munich the other week, which was, you know, he, no one's ever going to give that as a handball. If we don't think in Europe, they just go, hits the hand, penalty. Is exactly. That, that's what they do. But it can't be different in Europe than it is in the Premier League. You can't have two sets of rules. You can't have players that play on a Tuesday and on a Saturday under completely different interpretations of the laws of the game. But there's always been that though, Sam, because even when you play in European leagues, the physical sometimes but they've got to get that's got to get yeah, closer. Like studs up or you know they're not. It's got to get closer. As um, keen to let the game flow, are they? They give fouls in Champions League that you'd never give a foul in the Premier League. So even that's different the way that referees. But all that's got to get closer. And actually, in the Liga, too many sendings off. Like I was sending off every game and every every week in that uh, competition, and it was it was almost like five to one to, to the Premier League, I think, last year. And they were like, "Look, we've got to bring that down." You know, I think the Premier League have gone up a little bit on that and sort of come closer together because it was just the disparity was too much. Anyway, um, thank you very much uh, for your analysis. Always insightful to have you both alongside me uh, here in the uh, in the studio. Back so next week. Irony, do you think then? It wasn't very sincere. Just a it touch wasn't. Of irony. You were late and you didn't bring coffee, so you're in massive trouble. That's the producer's job to get the coffee. Oh, that's, oh hierarchical. He's gone big time now. Did you send a rider? He's gone so <laughs> big time recently. Perry, he's unbelievable. I've well, got we'll to get up early in the morning to come in and do a show. Oh, ridiculous. Just I'm, yell at M&Ms, is it? I haven't got a card to come pick me up. Outrageous. <laughs> uh, right, OK, we'll be back uh, later on in the week for the preview to all the weekend's action. Back next Sunday night as well to review all the action from the Premier League on the TalkSport YouTube channel. This is Premier League All Access from TalkSport. Make sure you tell your friends about us. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.